Hey everybody. As I edit the episode you're about to hear, I realized that I forgot to mention that Superman in the Bronze Age is sponsored by My Digital Comics. And if I don't mention that, then I don't get paid for doing it. And if I don't get paid, then this web, then the show doesn't get to stay on the internet. So, an up and comer in the digital comics marketplace, My Digital Comics, provides fans an affordable digital option for their comics and offers titles in PDF, CBZ, and page flipper formats, offering titles from publishers like Boom, Dynamite, Top Cow, Ad House, Tomorrow's, and many more. My Digital Comics is association with DCBS and In Stock Trades does more than just provide readers with an immediate opportunity to own either the digital or print versions of some of their favorite titles in the format that they want. It brings them at the price point they want. You can find My Digital Comics on the web at www.mydigitalcomics.com. And now, here's the show. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, who battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 34 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only podcast covering Superman's adventures from 1970 to 1986. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and if you'll recall last episode, I promised that there was going to be a special guest host, or guest co-host, as it were. So allow me to reintroduce Mr. J. David Weeder. Hello, everyone. See, told you. And... Now, you'll also remember that I mentioned there would be another big change to the show, which I'm going to go ahead and announce now, because it'll probably be something we reference over and over again. But David is not only going to be a guest co-host for this episode, but as of now, right, hold on, hold on, now, uh, David is now the permanent co-host of this show, so it is now hosted by both of us, which should keep the show on a regular basis, but also means you have to deal with both of us on a bi-weekly basis and since he's now new to the well new to the show although he was here what two episodes ago just a few episodes yeah yeah uh i figured this would be a good time for david to remind everyone what he's currently on and maybe explain what's been going on since the last time you were here well yeah last time i was here i was doing umpteen podcasts and in about two days about 90 percent of the podcasts just went away <laughs> which i mean i've never had a chance to really explain what happened um at the time i was doing superman forever radio which covered the quote-unquote modern age since we're in a new modern age uh covered i also did xavier's podcast for gifted youngsters which covered the x-men books from the beginning i did the mighty shield a captain america podcast and it feels like there's one more missing walking dorks yes. <laughs> and of course pad smash an incredible hulk podcast um, what came down was, you know, uh, my work schedule changed. And when you're doing that many podcasts, most of your time is kind of devoted to those podcasts, doing the writing, because just sitting down and recording, reading the book doesn't necessarily make a good show. Some people can pull that off, but not me. So I had a small change at work, which was about half an hour a day. But when you add that up across the week, that's quite a bit of time taken away. So I realized, okay, I can't keep up with all of these. One of these podcasts has to go. 
So I went through and, and debated and debated. And I mean, this was like chopping off a hand. So when it came down to it, I'm like, which one has the lowest download numbers at this moment? And it turned it that it turned out to be Superman Forever. So I was completely sad. But oh, that's a shame too. I like that one. Well, I mean, admittedly, I, I I had done some I had done a bad job with some things on that show. I never settled into a consistent format. I kept changing it because when it comes to Superman, I'm a kid in a candy store. Yeah. It's like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And so. <laughs> it, and, and of course, it kept coming out irregularly. There were breaks because of you know real life getting in the way, and so it kind of came down that I just kind of had that was the one that you know it broke my heart to do it, but that was the one that shut down. Now because of that, I started talking with Michael Bailey, who you will know from Superman, uh, Superman from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, who was also my co-host on on uh, Xavier's with John M. Wilson. Yeah, never heard Superman. of either one of them. Yeah, uh, Superman <laughs> in the Golden Age, and uh, kind of started talking with them. And John and Wilson and I also did Mighty Shield, and they started saying, "Well, we understand your pain. We're really having trouble with time." So time became a really big currency, and when we really came down to it, we realized we can't do the podcast right with with the situation we were in. So I ended up two more shot, two more podcasts got shot shut down. So it was just due to time, and you know, after that, I'm like, well, I can't not do a Superman now. The time just opened up. So I debated, you know, bringing back Superman Forever, but I'm like, no, I've already shut that down, and I don't necessarily want to cover that era. It wasn't, it wasn't fun from that point on, because you were getting, you were looking at New Krypton and just a mess of things. So I decided to start a blog called Dave's Amazing World of Superman. And, yep, and that is where I, well, quite simply, blog about Superman. And I started culling from all these images from my childhood. If you look at the design of the blog, it's a lot of Jose Garcia Lopez. Oh yeah, who I you know? Like that. Yeah. Well, when you're when I when I was a kid, that was the all the promotional stuff would be that art. Mm-hmm. Um, you had superpowers out, so I wanted to go back to that idea that I looked at when I was six or seven years old. That Superman and the way I looked at him then. And just do a more personal look at it. And so that became the new blog. And I'm continuing Pad Smash until the end, which I actually plan the show all the way out. It'll be in 2014 when the show ends. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and the, good the cool planning. Th- yep. Well, the good thing is, I mean, I just I did simple some simple math. Um, the cool thing about that show is by the time we get done with the Peter David run um, in the classic tray, the, the sort of warm up area of the show. I will have covered every issue of the Hulk right up to where we came into it. So you will see every oh, issue weird. of the Hulk. Yeah. It, and, I mean, with very little cheating, to be honest. <laughs> Just to kind of get it right. But, I mean, we're talking about um, two to three issues that were oddly placed that it will actually have full coverage. So huh. I'm, I'm doing Dave's Amazing World of Superman, where you, you can find this show as well. And uh, there will be some new stuff coming down the pike. I'm still kind of planning out what I want to do with, with the blog as a whole. But it, it's more personal, it's more me, and I don't necessarily have to stick to a specific era. I can jump around, or a specific, you know, Superman title. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm very excited about that. And then, but that, left, that left a little bit of a void. <laughs> I was an unemployed Superman podcaster and thought about contacting Charlie, because this was a, Bronze Age was an era that kind of fit in with what I wanted to look at, uh, kind of that childhood Superman that, you know, would have been around when I was born. I'm like, no, he doesn't need a co-host. And sure enough, out of, uh, out of the blue one day, Charlie's like, um, I could use a co-host. 
And so here That's... I am. <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you that day when all those podcasts got canceled, I was like, what? what? I, I think I almost had a heart attack. I was, uh, <laughs> I was pretty torn up. I was actually, I mean, I didn't put it out there for everybody to see, but I was, it was like a breakup. It really was. Yeah, it was the craziest thing. I mean, one day I'm just I'm sitting there, I'm, wait, I'm like, okay, I wonder what what shows are going to be up and available to listen to today. And I look and it's like, oh, I've decided I'm going to end Superman forever. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's, I can understand that. He was busy and all this stuff, so that's fine. And then all of a sudden, and after some consideration, we've decided to end Captain America. It's like, oh, wow, that's... Sucks for David uh, and John, and then all of a sudden, and also uh, we're also going to be cutting out uh, no more X Men. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> well, I mean, both John and Michael so. do multiple podcasts too, and yes, for example, yes. John does his Super uh, Super Eight of the Golden Age, yes, of, uh, one of our fellow podcasts at the Superman Podcast Network, and Michael had just started Bailey's Batman podcast, and I think for me because. I created Xavier's and because I kind of took over Mighty Shield from Michael Kaiser, mm-hmm. I didn't want podcasts that I was producing to get in the way of their shows because exactly. I know what that's like. I mean, you want to take care of your babies. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But, wow, that was that was a pretty tremendous – I actually started wondering if everything was okay with you, but then you kept posting like everything was fine, so I was like, okay, I guess he's okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean to cause a stir, but I, it was, <laughs> well, I, was, it was just... I, mean, I was depressed about everything, but it was yeah. – we did what we had to do. You know, based on professional needs, not personal. Right. Well, yeah, it was just like, well, that's only taking out what two of John's shows. He still got Superman and Spider Man, and then Michael still got like that takes two out of the twenty he's already doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's probably going to be okay. But it was like this all the, at that point, all that left you with was Hulk, <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's got to be a jump. <laughs> Well, I love, from I, like love four to... I love doing that show, but at the same time, if I can't talk about Superman, it's it it it's a big chunk because I sit in a room where my little Hulk section is literally just a few things on my desk. The other four <laughs> walls and shelves yeah. are Superman. Yeah, and I have to admit, um, I had a similar thing with the time. It, it, what now? See, the the timing is kind of bad too. Yes, I have started another podcast about the Justice League. But no, that hasn't actually affected my time on Superman in the Bronze Age because we have recorded most of those so far in advance <laughs> that it doesn't really affect anything going on now. But things have been getting busy. We've been going out of town almost every weekend. And I just wasn't having the time that I could sit down and write the notes and do the recording. And so... I first I cut it back to every other week, which also allowed me to put the podcast of justice on my feed so that I could get both shows on one feed without having to pay more money to Lipson to let me do that. And I just got to a point where I was like, even every other week I'm not having enough time. I can't I just can't do this on my own. So I was like, okay, here's I'm going to have to I'm going to ask for a po- for a co-host and if I can't I was going to have to bring it into the show because there was no way I was going to be able to keep it going on a base on a you know even bi-weekly basis so fortunately um, I, I got a few people that actually said hey I'd help I'd love to help you know th- throw an episode or two but I can't do permanent I got a lot of those uh, so before we get too far I want to thank Billy Hogan and Michael Bailey and Cayman Stoll and 
there were some others whose names I can't think of right now. John Wilson. John Wilson jumped in there, yes. Uh, Michael Just Bradley, sorry. Pretty, yeah. Oh, yeah, Michael Bradley was actually offered to be a permanent also, but that was at, but David beat him to it. Um, but, yeah, and then David uh, said, I can help. And then I got another personal message. I really want to host this show. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay, you got it. <laughs> so... Uh, so we've brought David in, and he, like he said, he's gonna. In addition to the normal places you can find this uh, at Superman, what is it? Super Bronze 1970 at because uh, this is an email at Superman Super Bronze 1970.libsyn.com and Superman in the Bronze Age Age.blogspot.com. He's also going to start posting the episodes on his amazing or Dave's amazing world of Superman blog. Yep. So that's going to be awesome. And that, and that blog is at amazingworldofsuperman.com. Yes, and we will. I will make sure that gets added to the show notes so that everyone can get. To, I think I've already got it in the little bar on the side. Yep. Yeah, I took out the Superman Forever, but it's also an, another reason I was trying. I was glad that David did this was because well, one, I knew he didn't have another Superman podcast, but also because I didn't want to have to take him out of the Superman Podcast Network promo. It just seemed wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Now, even, now, see, I knew you had the blog going. So I was like, well, he's still a Superman guy, but he's not doing a podcast, and it's the podcast network. So, And so I, I, I hesitated, and I actually waited because I figured, you know, he's he's been doing this, and he had trouble, so we're going to keep him on as an honorary... <laughs> now, as an honorary podcaster for at least a little bit, but now I just get to... I just have to swap you with a couple other people and put you... <laughs> move you around, and you'll still be on the show, so yay! Sweet! But, yeah, so he doesn't have to leave us, but... Uh, but so I want to thank you for volunteering and for getting rid of all your other shows so that you could be on this one. <laughs> that's... <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I'm going to choose to to think about it. And um, yeah, just thank thank you. And I, I'm looking forward to this because there's a lot of stuff coming up, and it's going to be a lot easier with two of us instead of just one of us. Yes, it is, and and we're not covering four books on our own. <laughs> no, two. It's two books every two weeks. So. <laughs> That's not going to be bad. In fact, I, in fact, looking ahead, we don't have any special stuff for like the next year. I don't think. I think uh, Superman special, the one hundred page special, though. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, but that's going to be part. Of, that's part of like that's still like Superman number or something. I mean, like uh, like the Amazing World of Superman thing that was printed for the first, I guess, uh, Superman celebration in Metropolis that has the origin. Or any special uh, mini series because that doesn't come out till way later. Or special oversized books like the Superman versus Shazam and Superman versus Wonder Woman and stuff like that. So, which spoiler alert? That stuff's coming down later. Whoops. But f- <laughs> yeah. Oh well. <laughs> you probably knew this already though if you'd ever been online. But um. So yeah. So now that we've been introducing David for a couple hours, I am going to or I haha <laughs> figures finally get a co-host on this show and I start using I instead of we. Dang it. <laughs> I, so okay. I always wore the, use the royal we. Yeah. Really? Does it flush just like all the others? No. But on <laughs> Anyway. Sorry. Okay, so after a couple promos, uh, we'll be right back with our first issue of the month, or week. After these messages, we'll be right back. The Hulk on Podcasts. Hulk like podcasts. Hulk listen to podcasts while Hulk smash. The Hulk on Peter David. 
Hulk like to read Peter David comics. Hulk have problem making words. Hulk write down. Peter David wrote a seminal run on the Incredible Hulk for 12 years. Some of the most provocative, compelling stories came from this era, filled with striking psychological overtones, bold character developments, and sharp humor. Along with artists like Todd McFarlane, Dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took the Incredible Hulk and the comic book medium as a whole to new heights. The Hulk on Peter David Podcasts. Uh, Hulk not find Peter David Podcasts. Hulk get mad. Hulk smash! Hey folks, in order to appease the Rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, looks at the entire Peter David run on the Hulk, issue by issue in a bi-weekly format. Join me, J. David Weeder, on a journey through the saga of old J. Jaws at www.incrediblehulksmash.com. Incredible Hulk and all related characters copyright Marvel Comics. Pat Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris, deep-rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self-destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb, or anal leakage. Take the mightiest superheroes on Earth. Each an invincible champion of justice. Band them together in a common cause against crime and evil. And you have the The Justice Justice League of America. And now their adventures are being chronicled on the Podcast of Justice a bi-weekly podcast covering every issue of the Justice League from the Silver Age to today. Join hosts Charlie Niemeyer and Isaac Frisbee at podcastofjustice.blogspot.com Presenting Superman. Uh, first book up this week, or this bi-week, I don't know how you would even... We could call it an episode, even. Well, that, there you go. <laughs> first book for this episode is Superman number 258, cover dated November 1972, but would have actually been found on stand September 14th, 1972, for a total whopping price of 20 cents. Sweet. Yep. The cover is penciled by Kurt Swan and inked by Murphy Anderson. And it no, it wasn't. What? That, that's Nick Cardi on the cover. Shows Murphy Anderson. Well, maybe Nick, it might be Murphy Anderson on inks, but that's a Nick Cardi cover. It okay? I believe. It. Well, <laughs> it says Kurt Swan, but no. Looking at it, now it that you does. Know, I checked it. Mike, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics has screwed us, ladies and gentlemen. No. <laughs> no, that is that. Is, wait a minute. Let me check the other one because. That is totally a Nick Cardi cover to me. I mean, uh, now that you point it out, yeah, Superman's hair is not Kurt Swan-like. No, neither is his cape. And, yeah, the 
the cosmic looking fellow, as I call him. <laughs> oh, I don't want to spoil it too early, but I mean, basically the cover has a cosmic looking villain adorned in dark blue from head to toe with starbursts throughout, shattering through the golden door of the Fortress of Solitude, promising Superman that he has smashed Superman's invulnerable fortress, and now he'll smash Superman. Da, da, da. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the character doesn't look Kurt Swanish because Kurt Swan has a very... If you've read any amount of Superman, Kurt Swan will pop right out. Oh yeah, he's got a very distinct style. I didn't look closely enough. I don't think that is. But, <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as you maniacally research, I'll tell everybody the story. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the first story in this issue is Fury of the Energy Eater. Written by Len Wein, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson, according to the credits, and edited by the great Julius Schwartz, uh, as he did the whole issue, to be honest. On the outskirts of Metropolis, a hobo sits with his dog, warming up a can of beans, I assume, over a campfire when a meteor comes <laughs> crashing to Earth. Looks like one of Popeye's cans of spinach. Yes. <laughs> uh, the hobo goes to investigate the crash, and he sees it lit up from within, and then notes that there is something moving in there before being pulled into the hole by an arm adorned with stars. After a loud scream, the hobo seems to crawl out, still in his dark overcoat and fedora, but now speckled with stars on the clothes underneath, and the figure is quite a bit larger. Just a hint, it's, it's not the hobo. No. <laughs> the figure lumbers towards Metropolis and clenches his fist in rage as he stands before the sign, welcoming visitors to Metropolis, the home of Superman. He smashes the billboard down and gently pats the dog on the head and walks towards Metropolis. The lumbering stranger gets to town and stops in front of a TV store where WGBS reporter Clark Kent, who we all know is Superman, um, if you didn't, sorry, spoiler, is reporting that the body of a <laughs> derelict was found on the outskirts of the city. Also, police have no leads on the three muggers plaguing Metropolis's east side. Just then, three muggers try to rush at our shadowy stranger, only to find themselves felled by a single wave of the hand from our new friend. With the muggers taken care of, and apparently his insatiable appetite for new stated, the shadowy figure enters Star Lab's installation, which is right next door, and begins making a ruckus, which I cannot describe the ruckus. For those of you that have seen Breakfast Club. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the WGBS studios, Clark wraps up his report, doing the anchor gig for the vacationing Dan Reed. And with the broadcast wrapped up, Clark is about to head home, but news of the trouble at Star Research Lab means Clark has to fire up the mobile newsroom and cover the story. And when Clark arrives at the lab, the place looks demolished. He gets the eyewitness accounts of the scientists who were working late on one of the glowing meteors that have been falling to Metropolis when the stranger in the derelict's clothes bashed his way in, went straight for the meteor, and seemed to be feeding off of it when he held it in his grubby paws. Neither scientist saw which direction the monster went, but Clark's supervision, not to be confused with supervision, <laughs> that was harder to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But his super dash vision detects glowing footprints so clark slips into the mobile newsroom changes into his costume and uses apparently a secret trap door to slip into a manhole below and uses the sewers to return to the streets without revealing his secret identity superman follows the footprints to some condemned tenements where he finds his prey still clutching the rock the mystery villain is thrilled to see superman and as he's been waiting to get his hands on the Man of Steel and crush him like he crushes the rock into powder. The villain slips off the coat and hat and reveals himself to be the Galactic Golem. 
Dun, dun, dun. Thank you. Superman is surprised. The last time we saw the Golem, he was heading into deep space in issue 248, where Luther had sent his creation to the stars. Now, following that issue in space, the Golem was found by an alien ship who was able to revive the Golem when they got him back to his planet, which he repaid by just wrecking everything in, in its sight. The alien scientists were able to send the Golem off to chase the glowing meteors, which sent him back to Earth. Does that mean they sent him after the shiny objects? Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> He's not the smartest galactic golem you'll ever find. No. <laughs> uh, back in the present, Superman starts to corral the villain, but is staved off when the golem pulls a pipe out of the ground and a geyser of water slows Superman down long enough for the golem to get away. Superman wonders why the golem would run, since he is more powerful than the Man of Steel, but he notes something in the dust of the meteors the golem has been snacking on, which really doesn't get referenced again or explained. <laughs> back that, and that folks is called a, a plot hole yeah <laughs> back at the fortress of solitude superman fires up luther's cannon filling it with the energy that and thinks to himself that this time when he sends the golem off he'll actually program it with a flight path the golem comes crashing through the giant yellow door of the fortress and in the instant that superman was quipping with the golem the cannon began to go into a dangerous overload it backfires and fills Superman with that energy, which apparently burns like molten fire. So now Superman's filled with the galactic energy that fuels the Golem, and Superman is able to take him head on. Golem tries to fight, even though the giant key... To, I mean, he even throws the giant key to the fortress at Superman, only to watch it shatter against the Man of Tomorrow's skin. The Golem almost gets his hands on Superman, but one punch sends the Golem flying through the walls of the fortress into the Arctic, which happens a lot. Yes. I wonder if Superman has fortress... Insurance. <laughs> <laughs> like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. With Lex Luthor. Oh, crap. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, well, when Superman goes to follow, he is met with an iceberg, which the Golem has thrown at him. An iceberg. The Golem comes down from the sky to finish Superman off, but Superman puts his foot down, literally stomping the ground so hard that a molten metal from the Earth's core sprouts from the hole he makes. The Golem tries to fight it, but finds himself covered with the metal in the same way that the star debris had gathered on him in space, which is how they had to revive him. The Golem is overtaken with it and finds himself covered with it and turned into a giant paperweight, a giant metal paperweight positioned right over the Earth's magnetic pole, North Magnetic Pole. So he's trapped in this crouching position. And with the day saved, Superman repairs the fortress door and key. That's where the State Farm comes in and decides that Clark Kent had better get back to the Galaxy Building. The story wraps with one last look at the trapped Galactic Golem, a creature that could have toppled mountains, is now a mountain himself. Aww. Aww, that's so sad. What well, is kind of, because he was he could have been a cool villain, but this is literally the last time you see him in this form. I mean, they tried to play with him in the post-crisis, but it wasn't the same. Actually, I think he comes back one more time. Not according to the Essential Superman Encyclopedia. Well, poop. <laughs> I double check. I might be wrong. <laughs> I, I check these things, Charlie. This is how I roll. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Oh, yeah, it says here, no further. I could have sworn he came back like... Uh, I must be confusing him with someone else. I thought he came back after... I don't know. Anyway. Well, he is so... indicative of a lot of the villains I've seen during this era. A lot of the yes. non-core villains. Yes. I probably just had him confused. So thank you. That's you were right. I was wrong. That's why that he's on this show, guys. That's why I brought him on. Wow, you you caved pretty quick. You have been married a while. 
<laughs> hey, ten years. Yeah, I learned. Well, I learned, nine. Yeah, but... I learned to cave pretty quick. You just go in the fetal yeah. position and you're fine. <laughs> and if it's really bad, you suck your thumb. Yeah, but only when no one else can see you. Uh, do you have any notes on this? Well, I thought I'd let you start. Oh well, thanks. Well, you're quite welcome. <laughs> okay, first of all, I like. Uh, wait a minute, there was something I noticed. First of all, I thought it was interesting that on page two, we have the golem, you know, crash to earth, basically kill the hobo, smash Superman's sign, and then pat the dog on the head. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, uh, have you ever, you, you and I have talked about Hulk ultimate destruction. Mm-hmm. If you ever notice, you can actually put people down. Hulk actually pats them on the head. Oh, does he? Yeah. I got to look at that as again. As long as you I... don't throw them, if you put them down gently, you'll pat them on the head and leave them be. <laughs> Well, Hulk, Hulk nice. Yeah. Hulk very nice sometimes. Um, and then on page three, I thought um, we've got the iron- irony of apparently it took a long time for the Guardian, the, the Guardian, the Galactic Guardian, mm-hmm. the Galactic Golem to walk all the way to this star branch next to the electronic store because in that time the police had discovered the body and don't know why it was there. And the irony of the three <laughs> muggers that have been terrorizing Metropolis's east side, attacking the golem just as Clark is reporting about it. Is that irony or convenience? Okay. <laughs> That's convenience. I mean, does... It's irony if it was a Marvel comic, convenience in a DC. Fair enough. There you go. Uh, on page four, we have our first introduction to Josh Coyle, director of the GBS News Broadcasts. And he will continue to play a small but recurring role in the Superman books throughout the rest of the Bronze Age. And he's also going to start getting ulcers, which will be a running gag. But I guess he doesn't have one here. so Not yet. Mostly because he this is his first time working with Clark. Uh, also on page four, we get the idea that, um, at least in this instance, Clark's not wearing his usual suit. He's wearing a kind of ugly suit but it's a dark green with a light green shirt and which actually might have been okay in 72 but it just looks wrong now and he's uh josh tells clark to return it to the wardrobe department so i want to say this is probably our sign that clark's about to be returning to his old blue suit i hope that's just me (laughs) um on page five I like. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny because the two do- the two scientists, the astrotechnicians, the Clark interviews are Bert Smith, which really doesn't mean much to anybody, but the other one's name is Harry Potter. Yes. And he, he is neither a kid nor does he have a lightning bolt on his, on his you know forehead. But he does have glasses. He does have glasses, and at one point he does use a wand, but not magically. He tries to hit the golem with it, and it doesn't do much. But yes. So Harry Potter makes his debut in Superman 258 years before any novels were written about him. You heard it here, folks. Yeah, you don't want to start that debate. Because a, <laughs> yeah. lot, a lot of people would say that Harry Potter made his first actual debut in m- Books of Magic in the form of Tim Hunter. Yes, because they, so, they do look similar. I will admit that. Oh, that's... I'm, that's yeah, I would just avoid that debate completely. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get into that. That's not neither here nor in the Bronze Age. But uh, page six, Superman thinks to himself that he's cleverly placed the trap door from his uh, mobile newsroom over a manhole. But it, that just seemed a little... I don't know what the word for it is. But it, he's kind of patting himself on the back. I've cleverly placed it over the manhole. 
I'm so good at what I do. <laughs> yeah, and I wear a cape. Uh, the uh, there was a different feel that I had for this issue the first time. I don't know if you I don't know if you've read that one, but um, I'm guessing you probably have, or at least have heard of it. The first time Superman meets the Galactic Golem, the way they have it set up, it seems like it, it reminded me a lot of the first time he went up against Doomsday. Because it was like you've got this creature that is being set up as the ultimate, most powerful thing in the world, and then you've got Superman just going about his normal business, and then he goes up to the against the yeah goes up against the golem, not knowing, you know, not just assuming that he's got the power to handle it, and he really was in the fight for his life, and this time, it just seemed like the return of a guy he's beat before. Superman was pretty confident the whole time, which is cool but it just kind of is a different feel for the story. Yeah, and even when Superman went back up against Doomsday, there was that little bit of, oh, crap, this guy killed me the first time around. Exactly, and this time, nothing. He he had a plan almost immediately. And even with when he didn't, he acted like he had a plan. But um, page 14, that uh, I kind of like how we didn't see the punch, but we do find out that Superman's super punch knocked the golem about three miles away from the fortress. That's a hell of a punch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, uh, but that the golem would think that he could kill Superman by throwing an iceberg at him. <laughs> it still cracks me up. It's an iceberg. <laughs> uh, I mean, come on. It's Superman. He, he knows enough about Superman to know that freaking... <laughs> the, the guy can punch him three miles away, so he thinks throwing an iceberg at him is going to kill... I don't know. But Superman does get a little cocky there, too, when he pulls up the geyser. But which is a little out of character, but it also gets the golem to come in closer so he can trap him. But I like how he de decided to trap him. That's pretty cool. Yeah, just and making not... him a giant magnet at the world's exactly. most magnetic spot. And see, it doesn't. it's not uh, that humane because the golem's not human at all. So it's okay. Uh, okay. I, I kind of <laughs> disagree. He's not human. Okay. He's not human, but he is a sentient life. That is true. And he's still alive. True. He's not killing him, but... He's just stuck. <laughs> the Phantom Zone but... projector was broke that day? What? <laughs> yeah, you would think... That, well, I don't know. I get the feeling that in this era they were trying to get away from some of those normal... that Some of that stuff and trying to do more creative ways of showing Superman stopping villains. Yeah, true. But, yeah. In the, I, yeah I, in the Silver Age, it was like every other issue. Oh, we got the Phantom Zone villain popping out. Yeah, just push the... Is it the white button that opens it? White the black button? that releases? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like or that. Or we could be completely... Well, it's 50-50 shot, so... Yeah. Billy Hogan, if you're listening, make sure you write in, because you know that stuff, because that's your era. But anyway, uh, overall, though, I thought this was a pretty good story. I love the art, and... Well, I didn't get the same feeling that the Golem was a huge threat, and I was kind of disappointed in their fight, because you don't see much of it. I did thoroughly enjoy the story, and... I read through it pretty quickly. I had to read through it twice to make sure I had <laughs> to double check, make sure I had everything, you know, notes and stuff. It is a quick read. Um, I don't know what why that is. I mean, there's plenty of text. There's nothing different about it from any other comic. I think it's just uh -uh. the pacing was really good. Yes, it, it's very fast pacing, and that's even with a flash with like two different flashbacks and caption boxes going out the yin yang. But yeah, and. I think I think though that the big thing this this would be memorized for is that's the return of the golem and it's Josh Doyle's introduction to the Superman mythos. 
But that that's what I've got. How about you? Um, mine start at page two. He pats the dog on the head, walks away. What happens to the dog after that? This is oh, so yeah. nitpicky, but it was in the back of my head <laughs> the whole time. Oh, well, yeah. It's such a sweet-looking dog, too. What, what also, I, I was trying to figure out if there was some symbolic thing with the dog standing on the Superman symbol, or the Superman logo on that page, but I don't think there is. No, no, let it go. Crypto's dead, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh... <laughs> this. Yeah, you kind of feel sorry for this dog because it has no master now, and it's probably just... The way, the way I'm going to go with it is uh, I'm pretty sure that when the police checked out the, uh, found the body, they probably collected the dog, and he's in the pound. And then two and days later, be... euthanized, yeah. No, 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 it's Metropolis. He'll be adopted. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he'll be fine. But I, I kind of had the similar note as you on page three where, oh, we just happen to have the expositional news network where Clark is talking uh-huh. about exactly what's happening as the muggers show up. And then you don't see anybody arresting the muggers. They're never mentioned again. <laughs> no, I'm almost wondering the way they're laying there. I'm wondering if maybe they died. That's a possibility. Because but... it looks like he's... It just says Womp, Thud, and Thwack, but the, the, what is it, the lines they have on the border of that panel? It looks like he's giving them a really good whack. True. And the they're sort of completely out. The power burst effect. Exactly. But I don't know. And, yeah, that is that is an ugly green suit. Depending on how old your copy of this issue is, it didn't necessarily come off green until you pointed that out, and I looked even closer, I'm like, ah, oh, it is. Ah. It's like a hunter green. It's like Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Good night, Metropolis. Stay classy. Exactly. But I like, yeah, I, I didn't, it didn't click for me, the Harry Potter. I thought I even mentioned it in the... No, you skipped it. That's why I was like, oh, i got to make sure I mention that. Weird. I, I thought I read, read, wrote their names down, or typed their names. But I like... I wish I could go back and get Amigo uh, Mobile Newsroom. They have that? No, but they should. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If, if I could get somebody to just customize something. Oh, no, that you could probably do. I could see it like one of those old turtle vans can, mm-hmm. can, being converted into this. Yeah. But, yeah, that mobile newsroom pops up quite a bit. It should have been an accessory. Two things on page six involving that. You mentioned how he cleverly puts the trapdoor. Did he build the trapdoor in there and nobody has noticed? Yes, this was um, way back in one of the early issues of Action when Morgan Edge hires him to become the, the a reporter. They kind of redid the super the story from 233 and put it in, like, six panels. Oh, okay. And so he gets hired by uh, they. It's the, they're taking off the Daily Planet Globe. They uh, he gets hired to be a TV reporter, and the first thing Morgan Edge does is gives him this mobile newsroom. Now we don't actually see him ever do this, but we learn that um, he does a few things to it to make sure his powers, or make sure he can still be Superman and still keep his job. I think he's got some some. Uh, there's a camera on there that's set up by remote, and he's got a special. Uh, microphone that he also keeps tucked in the neckline of his costume so that he can fly out and report as Clark but everyone can see Superman they don't usually mention that unless it's a plot convenience but that was mentioned that time but the big thing was that he made this trap door so he can change and sneak out of Superman to make it easier for him to get away but make it look like Clark's still in the van 
Okay, that makes sense. Except that you know, when somebody goes knock and knocks on it after about two hours. <laughs> yeah, and then there's a. I kind of have a note about it in the action issue. Okay, well, but... we'll we'll leave that alone. <laughs> but he he jumps through the manhole into the sewers. He's like these things are filthy. I know he cleaned them up, but he's like they're, they didn't take them long to get filthy again. It's a sewer, dude. I just <laughs> it's poop. Yeah, I just <laughs> hello. <laughs> the first time someone flushes, it's gonna be dirty again. Yeah, I don't know if you know how this works, but uh... oh, and one I almost went over this first panel where he's using his supervision. Mm-hmm. He mentions that those footprints are glowing, but he can only see them with supervision. Which is it? It's either glowing or it's irradiated or. Yeah, glowing footprints only his supervision can detect. I think if they were glowing, he would. Um... His supervision would actually make uh, make everyone else see them glow. Yeah, is my thought. And but that uh, it's a nitpick. But I'm good at nitpicking. Yes. Well, can I? <laughs> Page seven. This is kind of a not a serious note, but he flies into into a t- uh, condemned tenement. So I'm like, you didn't bother to tear him down while you were there. <laughs> oh well. Making good a point. reference to the golden age when yes, yes, he would totally <laughs> he would do that. Yeah, this uh, he's done that before too. I don't know what. Maybe he has a this in this era of Superman. I'm betting he's he's probably scheduled to tear them down in a couple days for charity. That's true. I could that's see that. what he does. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the reveal of the golem on page eight. I just think it probably should have been a little bit earlier. Yeah. Although and I and like and on page seven I don't see how Superman could see a blue guy in a purple coat and not think this isn't a normal guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the origin. It, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say this is one of the few times we actually get a full page splash. In the early, excuse me, in the early Bronze Age. True. Most of those were saved. I mean, Silver Age. It was a title page. Yes, and same thing with the Bronze Age, but. Usually you don't get and usually you don't get them in the middle of the story, and it's very rare to get them at all. True. Um, I thought the flashback that could have been. An, I, I wish they had just had this going on in the background where they find him, they revive him, and then they they could have really been built up, kind of cool. But yes, see now that would have been cool. That's not the way they do stories in the in this era, no. but uh, at least not at DC. But yeah, that would have been really cool. And how is, as powerful as Superman is in this era, how does a, a geyser of water really slow him down on page 10 and 11? <laughs> Wouldn't he just go, pshaw? Yeah, well, yeah, just a little, just a few pages later, he's the one, he's, what, uh, punching him three miles away? Yeah. Well, yeah. he was kind of supercharged at that. Okay, good about point. That. Yes, I, yes. It's not like we both didn't read them, and suddenly we're forgetting things. Yes, good point, good point. Yeah, I don't know how, it, well, plot convenience... Well, speaking of plot convenience, the dust from the meteors. Something tells me the answer lies in the still glowing dust of the meteors he's been snacking on. And, and then he flies off. Then with he flies it. off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mentions it again. Just fires up Luthor's cannon. Yeah. Oh, we, no, we just need to get him here now. It's like, what was the point? <laughs> Do we miss something on these pages between pages eleven and twelve? It's like they dropped the thought balloon that explained Superman's original plan, and it got messed up when he got overcharged or something. Yeah. Oh, that I don't know. That could be good. But still, I mean, you would still want to... Well, I, story works without it, I guess. Unless you're two nitpicky podcasters, and then... Uh, that's a different beast. I don't know anyone like that, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like how quickly Superman is able to apparently fabricate uh, fortress keys. 
Because on page 13, yeah. it gets destroyed. By the end of the story, he's got a whole new one. And, and apparently giant yellow doors or golden doors, depending on... Which is pretty interesting, because I want to say that that's made of super... What is it they call it? Supermanium? Mm-hmm. So he would have had to actually, like... Mine it know, and... Mine it, uh, process it. Put it in the smelter. Know, exactly, smelt it, shape it. So this would this might have been, like, several days but it doesn't make it look like it. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, I like the punch that went three miles. That was that was boss. This, you know, this could have actually stretched out into two issues very easily. I know that this was still oh, an yeah. era where they kept it self-contained, which is good and bad because they're not writing for the trade, obviously, since most of this hasn't been re-recorded. Or, 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 re or reprinted. Reprinted, I should say. <laughs> and But yeah, this could have easily filled up two issues and still been a good story. Yes. And it had a very satisfying conclusion because you don't I mean you have him trapped in, in the iron at the most magnetic spot which I believe is actually marked either that or they've never technically found it yeah uh, I've only seen artwork I want to say they usually put a pole there hence the north pole yeah. but I couldn't tell you I've never been there oh uh, here here we go uh, if any of our fair list or dear listeners have ever been to the north pole Please write us in, or write us in. Please write in to us, and we'll, we'll mention it on the show. Yeah, let us know. And, and let us know if there's a pole at the North Pole, or even if you're at the South Pole, because that'd be interesting to know either way. Well, yeah. <laughs> Although there is a pole. There's a picture of it. Oh, okay. Well, then I'd... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, now we know there's actually a pole at the North Pole. I don't think it's accurate, but that's still kind of cool. Yeah, because I want to... I don't know. I, I thought... Well, obviously there's a North Pole. Duh. That's where Santa is. Yeah. What? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Santa's workshop. Okay. North Pole. Yeah. Okay, Charlie. Yeah. Ho, 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 and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you believed in Santa. Santa's real. Okay. That's cool. You You believe what you want. <laughs> We've got kids listening to the. Oh, there oh, could be yeah. kids listening to the show. Superman's real. Superman is real. And so is Santa. <laughs> Actually, Dang Superman. It. Superman will help Santa on. Yeah. If Superman's if, if Santa's running behind. Well, yeah. Superman's super speed too. He can take over for the reindeer and everything. Mm -hmm. Awkwardly moving on. That's all the notes. It was, it was overall. <laughs> it, was a, it was a satisfying story. It really was. I, I thought it was. I mean, you know, when I started doing this, it was a Bronze Age. Was something I really wanted to explore. And this was everything I wanted out of a Bronze Age story. Sweet. Well, I'm glad you... Well, then I'm glad you got a good story to start off your first official episode of the show on. It will change. <laughs> it will. <laughs> By the end of this episode, in fact. But yes. Well, yeah. Well, actually... Anyway. Now, a glimpse at the man behind the mild-mannered facade of the gentleman reporter. When he's not being the mighty Superman, what is he being? For the answer, treat yourself to this tale in a series that shows the drama, the excitement, and the humanity of the private life of Clark Kent. And our backup feature showing us the private life of Clark Kent it has a story entitled, Who is Mr. X? Written by Mr. Kerry Bates. I don't know if he's done anything else, but no, I'm kidding. I'm completely kidding on that one. Not a whole lot. He, yeah. he kind of disappears after this. <laughs> uh, penciled by Kurt Swan. Inks by Dick Giordano. Clark sits around his six. What is wrong with me? 
<laughs> Clark sits around his apartment at 4 a.m., bored out of his skull going through all the things he could do. I mean, we're talking about going into space, 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 <laughs> and playing tag with a wild comet. And what catches his attention? Bored out of his skull? It's Clark hearing his neighbor, Mr. Xavier, uh, having his apartment door shut out in the hall. So Clark gets nosy, like he's living next door to the to the Stevens, Darren and Samantha. He knows nothing. <laughs> you? Yeah. Well, yeah, that could be fun. But he knows nothing about Mr. X, so he decides to follow him as Clark Kent to, you know, develop some of his detective skills. And he's not really paying attention to his surroundings, and Clark is almost hit by a car. He's only saved by the car's disc brakes, which seems to be an advertisement for disc brakes. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I guess it was new in 1972. I, I would assume so. But Clark's like, oh, see, well, lucky for that guy. It, yeah, see how it rhymes, though? It's new for 72. Anyway. I didn't. Yes. <laughs> well, Clark catches up with Mr. Hex on the subway, where the mystery man reads his newspaper. And Clark, uh, when they get off the subway car, Clark gets slowed down by a lady asking for money, which is, well, I have notes on that. Well, I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> and Clark okay. momentarily loses Mr. X. Clark deduces that Mr. X tore a coupon out of the last page of the Daily Planet, which was a coupon for a free cup of coffee with, with the breakfast at the Yum Yum Snack Bar. Sure enough, Clark finds his quarry sitting at the bar, and Clark notes the man's expensive slacks, but well-kept shoes with worn-down heels, which Clark deduces means Mr. X w- probably walks a lot for work. Or he was just walking through the city, I don't know. Could be both, Clark. <laughs> but... <laughs> when Mr. X leaves the snack bar, Clark follows him some more and comes across, well, Mr. X almost getting mugged. I say almost because Mr. X throws some Captain America-style judo at the would-be assailants and basically just takes them down easily. And with them down, he just Mr. X just moves right along, leaving a pile of beaten thugs. And Clark almost loses him again, but realizes that Mr. X pass, is Mr. X's passing a red, white, and blue mailbox that Mr. X must be a mailman, explaining the slacks and the well-worn heels. Mr. X ducks into an office building, and when Clark enters, Mr. X is behind him, demanding to know why Clark has been following him. Well, okay. It turns out that Clark hasn't been following his neighbor at all. (laughs) Instead, he's the friend of Mr. Xavier's who stopped by the apartment on his way to work at 4 a.m. and the day watchman at that office building that they're standing in. And Clark explains that he was practicing his detective skills. And the day watchman mentions that he used to work for a detective agency. And Clark did a fine job of tailing, uh, especially for a beginner. Beginner. Clark heads home as the sun comes up, just in time for him to put on a suit and report for work. He has plenty of time to solve the mystery of the real Mr. X's identity another day. Or night. <laughs> beginner, apparently you've won French. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, actually. <laughs> but uh, I, overall, I thought the story was kind of weak, but it is nice to see Clark out of his suit and tie and a Superman uniform for a bit. It's nice to see that other side. Yes. And we do get a cam- There is a slight cameo of the Superman outfit, though. Yeah, he picks it up and looks at it. Is that what he... Did he put it in the back of his pocket when he walked out? Uh, yes, looks like it. Is it Superman? He puts it in one of his... He's, he's folded it and compressed it and put it in one of his pockets. Wow. I forgot the suit actually did that. Mm-hmm. And I, how does that explain the Clark Kent clothes in the in the cape pocket, though? Well, Clark Kent's clothes are also specially treated to allow him to do the same thing to them. Okay. 
I'll, it's I'll, the Bronze Age. Yeah. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's it's one of the things that they carry. It's it is the Bronze Age, but they carry it over from the Silver Age. So take it as you will. Okay. Well, did you? I I, I kind of jumped ahead of you. Did you have any notes on this story? Oh, uh, well, first on the first page, I kind of like. I don't know what those poster things are. He's got on his wall, but they look like math problems. I can or... You know what I picture this? <laughs> I mean, it's some sort of theorem. This must be okay. what Donovan Morgan Grant's bedroom looks like. <laughs> Science! Science! <laughs> awesome. But literally, that was a thought I had when reading it, and that's that's my that was one of my notes on that page. And to show you where my head is, I saw all those, it looks like videotape boxes. But then I remember it's 1972, so he's just got a lot of books. <laughs> those strange things they call books with these pages. Yeah, I don't know what those are. They, uh, if you can't swipe it on an iPad, I'm, I'm lost. They weren't digital then. No, no. But he does have a pretty cool-looking stereo system. Well, he, he, he So he can have house parties. That's what Clark Kent does. Yeah, obviously. And he's got a teeny little... Te- I mean, they put a lot of... Kurt Swan put quite a bit of thought into this apartment layout. He's got a fancy-looking table, and it looks like it's got sugar candy in a jar. But, I mean, they got the bookshelves, there's pictures, there's a stereo, there's Donovan's posters around the back wall. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he just happens to have three pieces of paper laying next to each other on a desk that say, Story by Carrie Bates, Art by Swan and Giordano, Editing by Jay Schwartz. That's just fantastic. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, just, it's odd that there is that much detail in the apartment when you look at... When Kurt Swan drew Clark's apartment in the Silver Age, it couldn't be more generic. Like uh-huh. in the fifties and sixties, it was very plain, very oh, this is a bed, this is this is the shower, very plain. And then you have this really detailed, really modern for the time looking apartment. And the sad thing is, it's probably not going to look like this in any other. <laughs> I want to say that Clark probably rearranges his apartment more than anyone ever. I'd, I'd buy it, yeah. But, you know, when you have super strength, it's not so hard to do that. For the rest of us, though, yeah, it's a I real like pain. Yeah, I like to keep mine in the back. Yeah. Ta-da. I was just going to anyway. Oh, literally. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt your notes. <laughs> That's all right. You were going along. True. What... He does do a very... He does... <sighs> I don't know. I had a note and I lost it in my head. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you shouldn't make mental notes because you'll forget where you put them. Exactly. The, the disc break thing. There was no. There was. It didn't serve the story other than Clark saying, "Wow, if he'd hit me, he would have known who I am." Would have crumpled, <laughs> crumpled his car and and like a, and a, you know, commercial for disc brakes. <laughs> it's like if I hadn't had my solar powered headlights on, I would never have seen you. Yeah. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I do like, I mean, overall, and this is sort of more for the the story as a whole, going through Metropolis, especially in this era, whenever they would draw it, it felt like a real city where when you got into the late post-crisis with the Jeff Loeb, you really got, I mean, of course, obviously you had the Brainiac 13 thing where everything was futuristic, but it always felt so stylized and it felt like the Mm -hmm. movie set kind of that, the way Tim Burton did, you know, Gotham City in his movies—that that place doesn't exist, but it's cool to look at. 
Exactly. But in this era, I mean, overall, they look like real places. Like the subway looks like a real subway. I buy it. I actually buy Metropolis as a living, breathing place. Yes. And and they don't even do that too often in this era. But yes, I completely agree. Once it was kind of cool when it first happened, the whole Brainiac 13 upgrade thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And having it look all futuristic. But then after a while, it was just like, it just wasn't the same. No. And it has maintained a style, I mean, and they eventually brought it, uh, made it more modern-ish looking, but it still has a stylized look to it, like you said. And this looks like, it literally, I, I could go to Tulsa, or you could go to a city by you that has skyscrapers. Kansas Springfield, City. That, Kansas City. Springfield has one skyscraper, which is owned by John Q. Hammonds, and there's actually a mandate that no other places can be as tall as that. Seriously? Yeah, I'm not making that up. <laughs> wow. Well, so you could go to Kansas City and you could do all the same stuff and it would look pretty much the same. So they're definitely working more with that whole New York City influence. Actually, I don't know if you've been to Kansas City. There's the Kansas City Power and Light building, uh-huh. which you can actually Google, listeners, and you, Charlie. All you, all you need is a freaking globe on top of it and you're set. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> I went there. It would be perfect. Yeah. I lived in Kansas City for a while, so whenever I'd see that in the skyline, I'd just assume that was the Daily Planet and live in my little happy world of fiction. Yes, that building looks so cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, we went there right before the Joplin tornado, and oh, I yeah. saw that. I was like, you know what? If you put a globe on there, yeah, <laughs> that would look so awesome. Plus, if you saw it at night, there's these esoteric colored lights that kind of ebb in and out of you know, change colors. It's very cool looking. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at a picture right now. Wow, that is so cool. It's like, they the way they even light it, it looks like there's two buildings in one. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Yep. For you, anyway. I thought that. Anyway, <laughs> I, have a, I have a note on page four about that weird exchange where the lady comes up asking for money, which is not the weird part, but apparently her husband, boyfriend tells her not to ask strangers for money. What are we looking at? What kind of weird scene are we dealing with? <laughs> well, okay, she rode next to him the whole time on the subway, so he should could have asked sooner, but I guess maybe she was going to meet with her boyfriend, hubby, whatever. But, and he, yeah, that was, I guess it, I like the point that he makes it, man, there's some weird types of Metropolis at this time. Of night. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, that's some weird, actually, to be honest, I have met some weird people in a subway before. I was wearing a Superman t-shirt, and a guy actually thought I was Superman, and asked me for a hug. And what did you do? I gave him a hug. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was, well, I had my, well, then my girlfriend, but my wife was there, and there was a whole bunch of people, so I figured he wasn't going to kidnap me or something. So, I was like, Okay, <laughs> I'll be Superman for you. I mean, this guy genuinely thought. I think he he had a mental thing, but he genuinely thought. I, he asked me why I was taking the subway instead of flying, so I had to come up with an answer. Oh, it's uh, well, you know, sometimes you just gotta check out underground too. That's but, a good. Yeah. That's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't want to be like. Well, you see, sir, I didn't want to do the geek answer, but well, you see, sir, because of the the lead between the street and the subway levels it's hard for me to see using my x-ray vision so sometimes I just have to come down and fly with you guys so you you, kinda had to, you had you couldn't do your knee jerk 
well, you see. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I couldn't do that. I had to be like, well, just, you know, <laughs> just needed to. <laughs> and he he was fine with it. And we I gave him that hug, and then we promptly walked to a different part of the platform. <laughs> the opposite end, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, he was a little slow. And uh, the doors closed on the train before he could get in. Oh, so. that's kind of well, sad. He, there, there's more, multiple different it's the dc metro i don't know if you've ever been to dc Mm-mm. but they have multiple s- subway lines i'm sure everyone does but they have like a green line and a yellow line and an orange and the blue and this just happened to be under the smithsonian buildings so most of them go under there so he might not have needed to be on the one we were getting on he might have been going to one that goes to a different place but okay. yeah okay so it wasn't so bad but you, but you gave a superman fan a hug you I did. That's that's adorable. That's actually a yes. really sweet story. <laughs> Thank you. Completely nothing to do with this issue. Nothing to do with this, <laughs> this at all. I don't know. Well, you get crazy people in a subway like that. Oh, yeah. You actually did make a point. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, see? <laughs> I got but distracted. The difference is mine was at like probably 4 o'clock in the afternoon, not 3 o'clock in the morning. Sure. I can only imagine 3 o'clock in the morning. Are the subways? Uh, I guess I was about to ask if the subways are still running in Metropolis at 3 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Apparently, yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) How about that? Yum Yum's also open at that hour, too. Have we seen Yum Yum's before? Or is this not in the Bronze Age? Okay. This is new for the brunch. I don't know if it comes back, but this is the first time we see it. So it's not like the the Big Belly Burger? No. Okay. But yeah, overall, I mean, I, I don't have any specific notes going forward. It's just, oh, well, yeah, I do. Page seven. A mailman? <laughs> I suddenly felt like a uh, match game or something. He was playing some sort of weird 70s game show. He must be a mailman. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, his explanation on page eight of him being an old friend of Xavier and stopping at his place... First of all, that's a good friend if he lets you come visit him at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I don't don't have any friends. Unless something's wrong, don't call my phone or come to my house at 3 or 4 in the morning. (laughs) Exactly. But also, um, Xavier comes back and kind of makes that not... I can't talk either. Xavier does make a reappearance later on. And based on his background there... This guy wouldn't have known him. True. Because he. I think I know what you're talking human. about. I'm gonna assume that you yeah. do. <laughs> oh, thanks. No, I mean, as, as yeah. far as if it's what I'm thinking it is, you probably know more about these books because a lot of this era I'm exploring for the first time, which makes it extremely exciting. Oh, awesome! So thanks for the but... spoiler. <laughs> hey, no problem. <laughs> so yeah, just watch out for it. it's going to be a while, but I'll point it out when we get to it. Okay. Just for you, man. Thank you. But yeah, that, I mean, that was all the specific notes I had. I kind of trampled on yours. Oh, that's, that's no problem. Actually, the only the only other note that I had was back on page three, um, when Super when Clark almost loses track of him getting onto the subway. Now, Clark catches up in the picture in the image you see. You can actually see Xavier getting on the train. But Clark is thinking to himself that I didn't hear a train, so he has to be on this, or I didn't hear the rumble of another train pulling out. So this has to be the one Mr. X is on. But, yeah, if he, if he just looks like two feet in front of him, he could see that Xavier was just getting on the train. Um, yeah, it is within his, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so I'm thinking maybe there was some miscommunication or 
something, and they didn't fix it. I mean, over, overall, though, he's like, yeah, the small little tidbits. This was still kind of a cool story. It was kind of cool to see Metropolis at night or yes. early morning. You never, you never get to see that, and it's also cool because um, they're trying to, after it being a pretty squeaky clean, awesome place in the in the in the Silver Age, they are trying to make it a little more, like you said, real by having you know muggings at night. Both stories in this book had muggings, um, and you know showing the subways keep running, but also showing there's not a whole lot of traffic. There's some, there is some trash sitting out by a trash can in one one of the pages, so they do, uh, yeah. This is probably the most realistic look we've had at Metropolis since the beginning, probably. Probably. Yeah, well, yeah, Golden Age had some of those, but they were still... You didn't have the detail right. yeah. that you have I mean, here. he'd go knock out some tenements, but you wouldn't have, like, the whole area. But this, like, is literally your first big tour of Metropolis since Action 1. The first volume. You know what this... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you know what this, this story actually made me think of, and it just dawned on me? There was a Martin... I think it was Martin Scorsese movie called After Hours about this okay. poor guy that just wants to get back to the other side of the city and gets in wacky adventures in the overnight time frame. This made me okay. think of that. Yeah. I haven't seen that, but yeah, this sounds very similar. Yep. Except this one has Superman following somebody. Clark. Well, they're <laughs> one and the same. Yes, they are. Sorry. <laughs> No, just giving you crap. <laughs> I don't make the distinction between the two. Ah, but yeah, it's um. So we have another great, another fun issue. See, the Superman ones are usually pretty high quality. Mm -hmm. Both stories, and I hate to tell you people, but the the next one, the action is not that good this month. But anyway, um. Well, don't hold back. Yeah. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> yeah. So we've got. Did we mention that the that the first story was reprinted? Uh, we did not. It was reprinted in... Well, I'll let you do that, since you have, okay. you have the correct number. Uh, the first story of the issue was reprinted in Best of DC number 56, uh, with a January 1985 cover date. So shortly... At, well, shortly... That'd be right about when the Crisis on Infinite Earths began. And the backup story has never been reprinted, which is actually a shame, because it probably could stand a reprinting. It's not that bad. And I could see them doing that for, like, a Metropolis trade or something. Actually, that could work really well. Yeah, do do the backup the uh, Clark Kent backup stories as a single volume. Exactly. Yeah, that would be cool too because there's plenty of these things are actually good. Yeah. I like the Clark yeah, the Clark Kent ones. Well, I mean, they're backup stories, but they're good in general, which is backup stories mm -hmm. are usually the throwaway allegedly. And this one didn't seem smushed into the 8 pages. Mm -mm. Usually they seem you know, they have to rush or change the how many panels they use per page in order to fit it into eight pages but this one just seemed like it was perfectly su suited for an eight page slot and you don't get that these days not at all but so that brings us to an end on superman well the issue so after a couple more promos we'll be right back with action for 18 after these messages we'll be right back
said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. We were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest joined to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Action Comics number 418 had an on-sale date of September 28, 1972 and a price of just 20 cents. With another Nick Carty cover... Featuring basically Superman being tackled by three more Supermans. And none of them look happy. Um, the writer on the first story, which is The Attack of the Phantom Superfoes, uh, it was written by Leo Dorfman, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson, and the editor was Murray Boltonoff. And this story has never been reprinted, and you'll probably see why in just a minute. So picking up from the end of last issue, Superman is in the UN during a meeting of delegates, signing a truce with Lex Luthor, Brainiac, Grax, and the Marauder. 
Later, Clark returns to WGBS, where Morgan Edge yells at Clark for not covering the story and demotes him to being his assistant. Later still, while Clark is busy sharpening pencils for Edge, Lois comes in and makes fun of him, and wonders what made Superman change his mind to agree to the truce in the first place. Which, also folks, is called a continuity error, but I'm going to get more into that in a little bit. So just then, a news flew over the wire of the three super phantoms tearing up Atom City, the government's new nuclear-powered industrial residential complex. So Lois leaves to cover the story, while Clark uses the opportunity to change to Superman. When he arrives, he is stopped by his new quote-unquote friends, who remind him that things will only get worse if he performs any super feats. So he sits back and watches while the, while the other three attack the phantoms, and while they are able to repel them, one of them smashes into Marauder's ship before flying away. Marauder is able to leap to safety, but his chute won't open. So using his wits, Superman finds an oxygen tank nearby and is able to use that to force enough air into the chute to inflate it, thereby saving him without it counting as a super feat, which is also debatable. So while looking over the wreckage the Phantoms caused, the group basically recap last issue before the villains offer a partnership. Superman says he'll think it over, and flies back to Metropolis, where he spots a fire at a charity carnival due to open over the weekend. He starts to switch back to Superman to help, but quickly gets a hold of himself and uses a fire alarm to get help. As Clark, he watches the firefighters do their job, uh, also watching another reporter show up in the mobile newsroom to report on the fire for WGBS, leaving Clark to feel like a worthless loser in both of us at... Yeah leaving Clark to feel like a worthless loser in both identities, despite the years of life-saving he's performed on both sides of the glasses over the years. And yes, I said years twice. So wallowing in his own self-pity, Clark listens to his own private network, picking up all the disasters needing Superman's assistance, which appears to give him the nudge he needs to meet up with the villains the next day and agree to a partnership. So they all head back to the anti-Superman fortress, and when they show Superman all the weapons they have collected, he goes completely out of character and just destroys everything. He then sees himself in a trifold mirror and sees a phantom popping out of him. Now this is actually one of Marauder's weapons, and each one of those mirrors created a separate phantom, so he's got three phantoms. And while the three phantoms force Superman into a nearby wall, or to a nearby wall, the villains explained that the mirrors were actually called a triflector, which was able to create the Superman phantoms, and that this has all been a plan and a ruse to trap the Man of Steel. And after the Marauder uses his helmet to channel the power of a red sun and create force field manacles to bind Superman to the wall, the alien villains then turn on Luther, who they believe is too primitive to rule the Earth with them, and trap him inside of a force field. So while the remaining villains are gambling to figure out how they will split up the Earth, Superman realizes that the red solar manacles are only inhibiting his physical powers, but not his vision powers. So he uses his X-ray vision to scramble the circuitry in the Marauder's helmet, which not only knocks the helmet off of the Marauder's head somehow, but also causes the Phantom to attack the villains and allows Superman's manacles and Luther's force field to fade away. So the villains retreat to their ships and fly off to deep space, while Superman uses Marauder's, helmets, Marauder's helmet to order the Phantoms to return to his body, and then he flies off with Luther to return him to prison, while Luther promises that he will escape. What did you have on this one, David? Where do I begin? <laughs> well, I mean, as, as far as the overall story, it's one of those, wait, what? Yeah. I Me mean, all the way through, but on page one, I'm, 
on the the first panel in the UN, I I'm waiting for the nuclear man to show up. Yes. I mean, that, <laughs> no matter how many times I looked at him, I kept thinking of Superman four. <laughs> Except there were more females in that. Oh, true. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what's a flubadub? I have no idea. I don't. I don't think Morgan Edge is using appropriate language. No, that's. I'm thinking that censorship for something else that he was trying to say. Yeah. (laughs) I I like Lois's design in this era. That I mean, Lois has always been of all the characters in Superman's mythology, she's been the most reflective of the styles of the time. Definitely not Clark. I mean, we're seeing him in his standard blue suit with the reddish tie, except it's kind of brown. But her hair, uh, the outfit. I mean, it's it is exactly what it should be. And Clark's sharpening pencils. How many sharpened pencils do you need, Morgan Edge? He's already got a whole. What what is that? A jar it's or a, a pencil whole, holder? Or, yeah. Full of them, and he's got a whole handful of pencils. <laughs> Poor Clark. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I I think I have one nitpick on page uh, about pages five and six. Um, he's flying. That's still doing a super feat. He's using oxygen. Yep. Still super. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But why doesn't that, you know, cause more problems? Exactly. And how does, I mean, just a general note, how does Superman not clue into what's happening? He, this Superman still acknowledges the Silver Age. That was kind of happening as, as chosen. This isn't the first ruse that's been tried on him by any means. No. <laughs> just, uh, page, <laughs> page nine. <laughs> I, I think page nine kind of seals why I don't like this issue. The whole woe is me. Oh, I must, I'm Superman or Clark Kent. I'm a born loser. Dude, it's, it's been like two days. Other, before that, you've had a pretty good run. I mean, I get at the bottom yeah. of the panel where he's, you know, really wanting to help with the disasters, but I mean, just whining about not being able to save the carnival when the firemen seem to do a pretty adequate job. Yeah, they were doing it long before there was a Superman. Yeah, and just because another reporter's covering your story, no, that's not Superman. Superman, he he can be humble when he needs to, when when the right. time comes. But that really annoyed me. Um, it I was redeemed a little bit by the fortress on page ten. I dig that. I know it's cheesy. It's it's silver agey, but I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we're inside a volcano. It's a volcanic lair. <laughs> My secret volcanic lair, yeah. surrounded by liquid hot magma. Well, I mean, that's what villains in comics. I know this was still kind of geared towards kids, but even mm-hmm. as an adult, I want that that whimsy, right? And that brought it back. I'm like, oh, cool, volcano lair. I'm in. <laughs> and then Superman starts tearing stuff up on page eleven. I'm like, wait, what? At this point, I mean, he's clearly either knowing he's in, in, getting into a ruse. No, if he knew, he wouldn't have stepped into the trifold mirror. Right, but just start scrapping things. That's great. That's real polite. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Not even thinking. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> it cracks me up. Page thirteen, the middle panel where they're gambling for who gets what. <laughs> I just thought of why don't they open a casino? That would be an issue I want to see. Where these villains. That would be yeah. Well, I mean, they, they're technically you know aliens. They don't have to pay taxes either. They could pull that off. Thanks. And to apparently. Someone. This is the only room in the building without a table. Yeah, <laughs> all of our evil tables, and we well, they got to be next to the globe, right? Well, yeah, good point. They can't have a map table. Oh, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> Grax does not look like he's doing something 
uh, that kids should be allowed to see with that globe, though. I know. <laughs> Just pulling a mini-me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Brainiac's supposed to be a 12th level intelligence. Nobody <laughs> thought about Superman's heat, x-ray, or otherwise vision. Yeah, I have a note about that, too. Yeah, no, no the, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'll get to that when I get mine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, overall, I, I thought the ending was... I mean, beyond the volcano layer, the ending between Luthor and Superman was the funnest part of the story. Uh, and I, don't, I don't mean that in the William Shatner, Brad Paisley kind of way, where it's like, when the song ended, that was the best part. I mean, oh, that yeah. was actually kind of a cool scene, where it's like, I'm going to escape again. I mean, just deal with it. Oh, yeah. But overall, I mean... It, this is just overall ridiculous. It made no real sense. That's my biggest note is just, it gave me a headache reading it. Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As far as my notes, uh, page two, uh, Lois forgets why Superman changed his mind. And I don't know if you read the last issue or heard my episode, but uh, in the last issue, he specifically told her that he was only cha- he was going to do it because she suggested it. Uh, he's on. He was just on TV saying he's not going to do the truce. He's not going to do the truce. Lois says that maybe you should. So he's like, you know, for you, Lois, I'll do it. <laughs> and now she can't remember why. She has no idea why he's doing it. So that was that. That that was kind of annoying. Pages four and five. Um, I thought it was kind of pointless. The captions make it seem like it's a mystery as to why Superman can't save the day. Which really only works if you didn't read the last issue. Now, granted. Uh, yeah, I know that at this period in time, the idea was every issue is someone's first, but that was still kind of annoying. Yeah. Uh, on page nine, uh, wait a minute, I had something else before that, I think. Okay, uh, page five. Apparently, Marauder's spaceship is destroyed by a by one hole in the side. Um. Superman makes it sounds like makes it look like the ship's been wrecked. Now the Phantom has punched it in the side. There's a hole. In fact, Marauder jumps out through the hole, but that appears to be the only damage to the ship. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe there was some sort of component there, but you pointed out Marauder jumped through the ship, so that means there couldn't have been any a whole lot of machinery. That exactly. Was and we never do see a crash. But also, like you said, that. He's still flying around. Flying is a superpower, therefore it should be a super feat anytime he flies. So whether he's, whether I mean, yes, the oxygen tank, he, you know, anyone could probably have done that. That could have been a, a Batman save, but he's flying. <laughs> so this whole first section is a super feat. There should be more phantoms. Granted, maybe that's part supposed to be a part of a clue for the story, but I'm not thinking they're thinking that far ahead. That would be amazing, actually. That'd be impressive. Yeah. And then page, was it six and seven, has the flashbacks, so and now everyone's caught up. Uh, page nine. Okay. So he sees the fire. Now I can see him automatically thinking, okay, this is a job for Superman. But then he pulls the fire thing. Okay. So he shows up at the fire for no reason other than to watch them fight the fire. He calls himself a loser, like you said. And that that's really what annoyed me. Are we really supposed to believe that after all these years... I mean, this is the Bronze Age, kind of picking up basically where the Silver Age left off, but supposed to be better. Basically what we've got is, at this point, Superman started his career as a Superboy when he was about eight. 
and theoretically he's probably about 29 here. So we're talking at least 11 years where he's been a superhero and a good portion of that as a star reporter for a newspaper and a TV network and he's helped tons of people all over the world and on all sorts of planets and galaxies and he still thinks he's a loser Wow, you said it much better than I did <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but that, that was just like he yeah and then at the bottom of the page if you're going to feel self pity and you know you can't do anything why are you first of all he's got his own private network which is interesting but why subject yourself to all that you know to listening to all the disasters that's not going to help you any uh, that one I'll defend to a little bit. When you're sad, you listen to sad songs. This might be the Superman equivalent. Ah, okay, okay. Well, I'll I'll, I'll grant you that. But still, this this is a planet covered covered in superheroes at this point. And I just find, of course, it's a Superman book. I understand that, but it's just kind of annoying that all these disasters and everyone's calling for Superman specifically instead of maybe the Justice League or, you know. Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman. Aquaman. Aquaman for the boat. Yeah, I was going to say, it's in uh, the water. It's kind of his forte. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's got to be Superman. So that's not... that, And that's just something that they... I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. But that's just something that Leo Dorfman does in his stories. Um, let's see. Now, on page 11, after all the self-pity he's gone through about how he cannot use his powers because it will just cause more trouble... He goes and tr uses his superpowers to trash all the weapons. Yeah. No. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. No. Page 13. The red solar radiation. Now, uh, from what I know of Superman, now it may be different, I don't know this, but from what I know about Superman, red solar radiation knocks out all of his powers. Granted, he was got had ma manacles, but they were still exhibiting red solar radiation. So he should have been completely powerless. So he should have not been able to do his x-ray vision. Crap, there goes my 12th level intelligence. Way to call that yes. one out. <laughs> <laughs> and then page 14. Superman's x-ray vision does not work like Cyclops' uh, what is it, force beam thing? Optic blast. Yeah, optic blast. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> you got to get it right when you're on a, with a guy that used to be on an X-Men podcast. Um, but Superman's x-ray vision does not work the same. He, I could see the X-rays maybe messing with the circuitry because that have they use that over and over again, but it should not have knocked off the Marauder's helmet. That doesn't make sense. Oh, and then page fifteen, if the Marauder's helmet was scrambled by Superman's X-ray vision, Superman should not have been able to just put it on and order the Phantoms to do anything. That's but, true yeah. as well. Yeah, I apparently wasn't thinking that deep into it. I'm like, hey. Yeah. Now, this issue perfectly exhibited my problem with many Leo Dorfman stories, especially his two-parters. Now, this guy is a guy that's been writing Superman stories since the Silver Age and was working under Mort Weisinger. But so many of his stories, in fact, just about every two-parter he does, well, actually, all of his stories involve his superpowers working differently than they normally would such as one of his first stories when apparently we found out that lead can block his super hearing. Bet you didn't know that one. Um, Wait, what? 
Yeah, there's a issue, one of the first issues he did, uh, or in the Bron- one of the first episodes I did. I think it was the second episode, probably. Uh, he's trying to listen in on a conversation some alien women are having, but the ship's got some kind of lead in it, so it blocks his super hearing. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense either. And so, um, yeah. Uh, also, his two-parters usually involve a part one of the story that is actually a pretty good story and somehow ends up with Superman not having his full powers like he's supposed to. And you're thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then part two sucks and ruins the whole thing. And it usually involves him, like I said, in a situation where his all of his powers are gone or are useless, but somehow he still has his vision powers. And they save the day. Ones I can think of right off the top of my head because I, for, I forgot to look them up. But they're the, one of the f- first ones he did was an imaginary story in the future. I would think it was in, supposed to take place in 1999. And he's lost all of his powers except his heat vision, which is enough to eventually get him his back his powers by the end of the story. Uh, another one where he's going up against some Indians. And in the first part, um, by the end of the story, he's apparently being uh, control or under the influence of powerful Indian black magic and I remember this one yes and he has no powers except apparently he finds out he can use still he's not supposed to have any powers again this was ends up with red solar radiation problem uh, he doesn't know it at the time but it's a red solar thing but somehow he's still able to use his vision powers and eventually gets those back and saves the day and then this one so yeah. Uh, fortunately, the the plus side of this is that um, this is the last issue of Action, edited by her or Murray Boltonoff. Who, uh, therefore, it's also the last issue with a Leo Dorfman Superman story. So we shouldn't have any more of these problems again. Ah, so now we're into the full-on Julia Schwartz era. Yes, we will be starting next episode, and I'm so glad. <laughs> um. But um, on the plus side, yes, Lois has the fashion that, like David said, he, he looks, or he, wow. Lois definitely has the look of the times and does follow the look of the times. So, you know, we get more of an idea of what pe- how people were dressing and stuff whenever you're, the issue's from. But she looked, she looked like she had more of a Murphy Anderson influence than the Kurt Swan influence that the other characters have. It's almost like... It almost appeared to me like Kurt had it had her drawn one way, and then either Murray Boltonoff asked, well, if, if anything, it was like Murray Boltonoff asked that Anderson do some changes to it. Uh, because if you look at that same image, Lois had, it just doesn't look like a swan face. But behind her, Clark has a swan face. Which doesn't actually make sense because neither one of them looks like a swan. But you know that what I'm trying to say is that it just she, she still looks good, but she just looks like it's not Kurt Swan drawing her. True. But other than that, I thought that the art uh, the art looks fantastic. Couldn't really save the story too much, but again, it looks great, and I'm glad that starting with next issue, they're going to be able to have more non funky stories like this don't rule it out I'm not ruling it out <laughs> but yeah there'll be a fewer 
it, it won't be quite as often because I think just about whenever Leo Dorfman was writing an issue of Action that had this problem. So, but um, did you have anything else you wanted to say about this one? No, you pretty much covered it. <laughs> okay. Fountain of Death, starring Metamorpho, written by Bob Haney, art by John Kalman, and of course edited by Murray Boltonoff, and again, this story has not been reprinted. So one day in the Stag Mansion, we witnessed the death of Simon Stag, much to the chagrin of his daughter Sapphire and his Neanderthal butler, Java. While Sapphire realizes she's now an orphan, Stag's body is taken away in a hearse to be cremated. A few days later, Sapphire. A few days later, Sapphire scatters his ashes over his lab equipment per his request, which is weird. Another few days later, and a recording of Stag's will is played for them all to hear. Sapphire gets eighty million dollars, although they just say eighty millions, and I'm not sure what eighty millions is supposed to be, but I'm guessing dollars. But because she's a spendthrift and exhibits a lack of judgment. It will be held in a trust and paid to her at an income of $50,000 a year, which upsets her because that won't be enough to clothe her. They didn't have, I guess they didn't have Walmart back then. <laughs> uh, Java gets Stag's entire library of scientific books, which, yeah, which upsets him because he wanted money so that he could get plastic surgery to make him look handsome. To Metamorpho, Stag left $1 million dollars but only if he will go to Greenland and retrieve a mineral called Cryolite 60, which is somehow a mutated form of the mineral Cryolite. So because it's so much money, Sapphire is able to talk him into getting the mineral so that they, can, they will be rich and can get married. So, we see our hero with his feet in the form of ice skates. And I spelled it wrong. Twice. Skating to the Kraken Hole sounds wrong. Yeah. Which is a volcano in the midst of all the ice. So along the way he comes across the narwhal, an old whaler that appears to have been stuck in the ice long ago. So continuing his journey, Metamorpho makes into the Kraken Hole, only to find that all of the Cryolite 60 is guarded by a real Kraken. And it's a crack-a-lacking Kraken. Which quickly tries to capture him in its tentacles. So he tries changing into a gash form. But the Kraken starts inhaling the hero. So he quickly transforms one of his arms into an iron harpoon, stabbing the Kraken and killing it. Metamorpho then collects the Cryolite 60 and return home. returns home. Later, after the family lawyer connect, connects... Later, after the family lawyer collects the mineral to be put on display in the Stag Hall of Science and gives Metamorpho his $1 million check, he and Sapphire... I keep saying Stag... Sta <laughs> oh. He and Sapphire are headed out to cash it when they see Java going through Stag's books. Java tells him that it is a book about the whaling ship Narwhal. Let's see where I'm going with this? A book Stag had been reading shortly before he died. So due to the coincidence, Metamorpho takes a look at the book himself and believes that this new, that his new check might soon be nothing more than a bookmark. That night at the Stag Hall of Science, Metamorpho sneaks in and spots an old janitor attempting to steal the Cryolite 60, but he's able to stop him and reveals that the janitor was Simon Stag in disguise. Dun dun dun! Exactly. Thank you. See, Stag Brian bribed the doctor, the undertaker, the lawyer, 
and the candlestick maker to help him fake his own death because he believed that the, it was the only way he would be able to get Metamorpho to retrieve the Cryolite 60 form. He wanted it because in the book he had been reading, the captain of the Narwhal revealed that Cryolite 60 was the secret to eternal youth. Now, if Metamorpho was mad before, finding out that Stag was still alive, this really sets him off, as he explains to Stag that he'd found the ship while in Greenland, and took some time to check out the captain's log, starting in 1972. Apparently, a young first mate killed the ship's original captain, and used the mineral to explain why he was so much younger. And the young man then returned to civilization, posing as the captain, and was not only able to claim the captain's money and position, but also wrote a book about the voyage to make his journey or to make his phony life even more believable. The Cryolite 60 is worthless. So later on, we see Metamorpho throw his check into a fireplace with a fire going, because it was drawn on the stack of state, and since he's alive, the check is worthless. But our hero does get the last laugh, if you want to call it that, because he still has the one thing that Stag doesn't have. Time. Now, first of all, I want to point out that, that, that out here that uh, Randall Stag, who was just introduced last issue, is nowhere to be seen, even though he's supposed to be family and is under Stag's care. But he seems to be, have been forgotten already. Uh, also, if you thought Stag was a jerk before, this kicks things up to the next level. <laughs> because that is a heck of a way to get someone to do something for you. You couldn't have just Although, asked? Apparently not. You kind of pretend you're dead to do it. So on the plus side, though... Oh, and it also makes me question the morals of a doctor, the undertaker, and the lawyer. But not the candlestick maker. He was just a pawn. Yeah, because the candlestick maker, he'll do anything for money. But he won't do that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> where was he? On the plus side, the story was pretty well written enough to make me want to knock some sense into a fictional character, so that's something. Uh, it's definitely a step up from the previous story. Uh, honestly, with an almost father-in-law like Stag, Metamorpho doesn't really need any other enemies. So that's why you probably haven't heard much about the <laughs> Metamorpho's arch nemesis and rogues gallery. The art here was actually pretty good in my opinion. Although there were a few spots where Metamorpho's face looked a bit off, like it was drawn by someone else. But all in all, I really liked it. How about you? I enjoyed it, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not huge into the Metamorpho mythology, if you can call it that. But <laughs> I liked that it came off like a really twisted sitcom slash soap opera. Almost like a Dark Shadows type of thing. Mm-hmm. We don't really need bad guys. We've got, the, we've got those built in. <laughs> exactly. And Sapphire has all the uh, heart of a something without a heart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I am one. I am really good with my words today, ladies and gentlemen, and it has been wonderful. Um, Was that all you had on that? Yeah, I didn't have much on the Metamorpho. I just I don't know what he sees in Sapphire. Well, apparently she's got some nice curves. Well, there. I mean, that. But you know, doesn't mean he has to marry her. No. Well, see, this is written by Bob Haney, who apparently suffers from Stan Leeism. Okay. Where you can't have a friend that's a female without wanting to like marry her or get in her pants or something. But, uh, but all this uh, brings our coverage of Metamorpho to an end, as this is Murray Boldenoff's final issue. Um, there will be a 
change to the backup department next time. Uh, as I mentioned before, he and Julie Schwartz are making a little bit of a trade, with Murray taking over World's Finest and editing the Super Sun Saga, which, as I mentioned last episode, we won't be covering. Um, and Julie's going to get action, giving him full control over both of Superman's main books. But we'll get more into that next episode. Yes, it is very sweet. Yeah. Uh, Metamorpho, however, will be moving over to Jimmy Olsen's book, and while a new feature will join Superman in Action Comics. But we're going to leave that for next time. After these messages, we'll be right back. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than a speeding bullet. Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a journey through the golden age of the Man of Steel in comics, radio, and film. Available at greatcrypton.com. So first up we have the ads. And inside the front cover, we have an ad for the NFL and Ford punt passing kick competition. I don't know if this is the first one but the way it's written in here it looks like it might be and at this point the they could have won to be a national finalist at the famous Pro Bowl game in Dallas, Texas and as a finalist you and your parents will tour fabulous Dallas, Texas which means that this is before they moved the Pro Bowl to Hawaii which is now no longer in Hawaii but in any event um, yeah this is one of the first passing kick competitions and since it's 1972 this was a boys only thing Ooh, yeah. But they get a free tips book filled with exciting stories, pointers, and tips by NFL stars Dave Lewis, Garo Uprimian, and Roger Stallback. Ah, Stallback. That's one name so, I recognize. Okay, so uh, next ad I see is the Chipaway set. Do you have that one? Yeah, I think that's awesome. That is actually pretty cool. I now apparently you sculpt. I don't know if how you actually. Okay, there's hidden blocks inside the statue. Okay, so you get a hidden block inside as a statue. So you actually get to chip away at the block part of it. Um, and it's a safe chisel that sculpts away the soft outside. So it's soft. Mm -hmm. And even as hard as blows won't hurt the tough figure inside. So basically what you're doing is you're knocking off the soft outside part. And you get a character of some kind inside. And then you get to paint it. And it, the, the paints are included. And if you look at the box that they have on the corner, 
that font that they use for Chip Away looks a lot like the one they use for Chips Ahoy, which is actually pretty interesting. I wonder if the soft stuff was what would someday accidentally become Chips Ahoy. <laughs> you know, Ray, this stuff tastes pretty good. We should throw some chocolate in it. Yes, thank you. Uh, but yeah, there's nine statues total from three different sets. Uh, you can get a, bas- a hockey player, bowler, swimmer, cat, dog, horse, baseball player, basketball player, and football player. But no superheroes. S- no, that's sad. But I'm guessing that the first and third set are more for the boys, and the middle set is for girls. I would lean that Jud- way. Uh, as you know, as it, they were considered in the '70s. Uh, the next ad is the insult that made a man out of Mac, which is a Charles Atlas ad, and it's and it's that one that they've had forever, of the couple hanging out on the beach, and some big bully guy kicks sand in the in their faces, and the other guy's pretty scrawny, so he kind of just gets pushed away, and his girlfriend suddenly doesn't like him anymore, so he gets pissed, uh, does the Charles Atlas program, and is able to kick some butt. Okay, wait just and one second. Comes the hero of the beach. What? Okay. Say that. What? Say that last part again, because my wife's about to because... open the garage door. Oh, he becomes the hero of the beach. Okay, just want to make sure you got that in. She's about okay. to open the garage door, which means the dog's going to jump up. She's going to come in. Uh, there it goes. There it That's is. That's why I told her text me before you open it, so I can at least stop us where. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Oh no problem. She she knew what I she knew I had these plans, so she'll be okay. beaten later. <laughs> That's not true. I don't hit my wife. I, Me either. I, I would never hit your wife. <laughs> the next uh, ad is for uh, is coins. It's a $500,000 search for old and rare coins, and it talks about how you can get several different coins for several different amounts of money. A Lincoln penny from before 1940 cost you two, will, co- will get you $250. It's, it's a penny. It's worth one cent. It's currency. You can't charge but, me for that. But you know what? What sucks is that I've I have seen Lincoln pennies from before 1940, and I could have gotten money for that, and I used it, and it was a penny. It it they only gave me a cent for it, so that that ticks me off. But yeah, anyway, so you can get a lot of money if you have old coins, especially if 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 you have one that's a gold coin from before 1929. Well, gold is different. Oh, okay. Yeah, they might not even be worth as much anymore. But nickels before 1945 are $16,000. I'm guessing this is probably because of uh, needing them for the war. Mm. I'm guessing. Wait. I don't know. Oh, I was going to say, what war? I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, there was this, there's a small little uh, ruckus. Uh, they referred to it as World War II. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it. They rarely mention it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I no realized problem. as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, then there's another uh, half ad. Well, the top half is about a drafting kit, mm-hmm. and the bottom half is the monster size monsters, seven feet tall, which actually works considering this is like Halloween time. Uh, but the ones they can they show where you can get a Frankenstein's monster, or you can get a skeleton with glow in the dark eyes. It's kind of cool. Ooh. You even get a ten day free trial. So if you don't like your poster of a, <laughs> you can send it back and get a refund. Uh, then there's, <laughs> then there's a, a muscular guy, uh, saying that he needs 250 skinny guys, um, which sounds wrong, 
until you learn that this is actually a, another bodybuilding thing, but it still doesn't sound right even then. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And this is Mr. Universe Frank Richard. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the backup feature, uh, well, I don't know about yours. Mine has an ad for Jimmy Olsen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for Jimmy Olsen number 154. It shows Superman f- or Jimmy fishing for money, and Superman has to take it from him. But I probably should have saved that for the elsewhere. Anyway, uh, then the next page has another half ad thing. The top half is how to be, train at home to be a veterinary assistant. Because <laughs> that's what I who I want, you know, taking care of my pets. Uh, yeah. Hey, I learned this at home. So you want to get your dog fixed? Yeah, no problem. Okay. And then the bottom half is those uh, little gag gift kind of ads. You get a teeny little atom pistol. Snowstorm tablets, vampire blood, that kind of stuff. Be a ventriloquist, you know, sneezing powder, magic brain calculator that adds, subtracts, and multiplies. That's, that's but just... it can't divide. Yeah. So how smart is that? Well, this is before Texas Instruments introduced the division uh, button, I guess. Um, and then there's the letters page, which really doesn't have much um, so we'll skip that then we have another bodybuilding ad with bad coloring because it's a black and white picture that they tried to color in a comic book and it just makes it look even worse and the back inside cover has that this can be your big break if you're a man who ever said I'm sick and tired of my job and he's going to go to the Cleveland Institute of Electronics so that way, yeah, that way you can learn how to do electronic stuff without having to go to college. So, and the back cover has the imposters, which basically is um, before they turn into robots, they had cars that turn into race cars, and it's the same. I think we had this issue at the uh, last episode too. The image that they show is a yellow bumblebee-looking. Volkswagen bug that slowly transforms into this hot rod race car with exhaust pipes and a visible engine and a driver in the back seat. And you can almost hear the that's, noise. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of. And, uh, but it, it even uses the ad there's a lot more there's a lot more car than meets the eye. Transformers. Exactly. Um, so that's it for the ads. Did Actually, you have I had one extra at? ad in. Oh, action. you haven't. Okay, what do you have? Um, these are apparently model kits that are Hemi race cars, kind of like what you were talking about, except this has Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote on it. Ooh, I don't have that one. Where is that one? Uh, that one's in. That's in the action issue. Oh. Yeah. Now, did I have any? You didn't have. Nope. Maybe I skipped. No, page. they were out in different orders, but. Really weird. Totally don't have that one. You're not missing much. So, ladies and gentlemen, that means that Superman's to so the Superman book had one more page of story, or possibly one more page of letters, uh, than the action book. And I know the action only had one page of letters, and Superman only has one page of letters. So, you got more story in the Superman issue. Sweet. See how we figured that out? Yay. Okay, so. Math. Math is fun. <laughs> yes. Okay, so real quick, we'll go over the books for this month, the other books that came out this month. Uh, we have Falling in Love, number 138. The romance line still has not died. Uh, Ghost, number 9, which actually looks 
pretty like a pretty cool cover. It's a Nick Cardi cover, but I love it when they do the moody ones, and I've mentioned that several times, especially when you have a skeleton piloting the boat. Uh, there's our Army at War number 251 with Sergeant Rock. Phantom Stranger number 22, which has a Gemma Paro cover, and still looks moody as all heck. There's Brave and the Bold number 104, teaming up Batman with Dead Man. And I'm not a fan of Nick Cardi's Batman. Really? It just doesn't look right. It doesn't... It's something about the ears, I think, mostly. Okay. Ears can make the difference on Batman. Yeah. The the Batman ears, they don't look... They, they, I don't know. It's hard. They don't look like a, the bat ears that anyone else draws. Uh, but there's Teen Titans number 12... Or 12? Wow. 42. Uh, just off by 30. Um, just a little bit. And, and we see the Teen Titans about to go into a giant skull mouth helmet thing. Looks like a vampiric Viking... Anyway... It's huge and it's scary. Skeletor. Uh, there you go. <laughs> we have Weird War Tales number eight. Apparently, with an abominable snowman. Uh, yeah, and he's attacking. Looks like the Nazis. I don't know. Well, that would have made it easier. Yeah, that would have helped us. Uh, Wonder Woman two hundred three, uh, which still does not have her getting her normal costume back. She's still in the white outfit. There's Korax, son of Tarzan, number forty nine with a Joe Kubert cover, and he's fighting zombies, it looks like, or some kind of lizard men. Wow. This would make more sense for October covers, but this they're getting a lot of spooky stuff. Uh, there is, uh, it's Midnight, The Witching Hour, number 25, featuring someone's sweet 16 death day. So that's really cool. That's a cheerful number. <laughs> yeah, well, it's sweet. Uh, young Romance... Uh, number 188, uh, which tells people, you know, you really shouldn't trick a man into marriage. There's the Forbidden Tales of Dark Mansion. And some guy's about to be attacked by cats. Not the musical, the animals. Although both would be entertaining. Yes. <laughs> uh, Mr. Miracle, number 11. And I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, but it looks like he's on a, he's chained to a pole that's about to fall, and is about to fall into a vat of flame. So I'm not exactly sure that. It's Mr. Miracle, uh, there, that's that's how he rolls. Exactly, he'll be out of it. Don't worry. Uh, there's Wanted, the world's most fit, dangerous villains, number three, which I believe is all reprints, uh, featuring Vigilante, Doctor Fate, and and that's Vigilante, Doctor Fate, and Hawkman. There's Our Fighting Forces, number 140, with the losers fighting the Nazis. Supergirl, number one, she finally gets her own issue or her own book for a little bit. I was going to say, for a little while. Uh, yeah. Uh, on the Trail of the Madman, there's Jimmy Olsen 154, which I talked about just a little bit earlier. Demon number three, fighting the... Wow. It's a hippo slash triceratops from hell, it looks like. Uh, literally. Yeah, literally. Uh, House of Secrets 102, another William Mike Kaluta cover. There's Strange Adventures number 239 which looks like it's got a gorilla, so people will buy that one. Young Love 101 with a wedding. Yay! House of Mystery 208. Another Nick Cardi cover, but it looks really moody because it's and the haunted house is closed because they don't want anyone to die today. Oh, no, that's a cemetery. Never mind. Love Stories 147. Unexpected number 141. A man-man's loose among us. Detective Comics 429 with another Nick Cardi Batman cover. With Man uh, Bat. Man Bat's coming back. So that's cool. Over Vegas, even. There's Tarzan 214. 
and he's going up against some really strange creatures and a big bird. And Weird Mystery Tales number three, with some kind of lightning creature trying to attack a woman. They do that. And it can, yeah, all weird creatures attack women. But that's pretty much it for this month. Um, I want to thank everyone again for downloading this episode, and thank you again, David, for coming on and, and on a permanent basis. And uh, make sure you all come back in just two short weeks for our next episode. And uh, we'll see you all then. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Our new episodes are posted weekly. Episodes are also posted at superbronze1970.libson.com, supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com, and amazingworldofsuperman.com, as well as supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to the show via the RSS feed and iTunes. All images, characters, and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only. No money is made by the show. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you all for listening, and God bless. Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in Superman DC Publications.